So we are in our second week of this series called uh, Cross-Examination, and last week we started by talking about the first uh, part of it where we started with the simple question of, is your heart right with God? And we talked about how drawing near to the cross reveals our hearts. It reveals the, really who we are when we give our hearts to Christ. And so, um, but today we're going to be talking about brokenness. This is the second part of our, of our um, series. So if you could, uh, next one. This is going to be fun. All right. So how many people here have ever broken something? <laughs> yeah, it really, it can be anything. You know, some of us have broken bones. Some of us have broken plates or mugs or whatever it may be. There, you can think of a list of things that you've broken. I can think of times where I've broken a plate, uh, not on purpose, because, you know, those are not cheap. It ruins the set if you keep breaking them. But there's been a few times where, you know, you just, all it takes is one slip and boom, you end up with, a, with plates smashed all over the floor. But the thing about that is when you break a plate, it's not easy to put it back together unless, you know, it only breaks in half very neatly, you might be able to put it back together. But we all know that when you drop something, it's very unlikely if it's broken that you're going to be able to put it back together. Now, what do you normally use to put something back together? Anybody? What's your favorite thing? Glue? What else? Yeah, like Gorilla Glue does a good job. Any, any other, anything else? Let's, what about when you, let's take uh, broken bones, for example. Obviously, you can't use tape to put your bones back together, but you, can, you go to the doctor for that, and sometimes what they do when they break the skin and things like that, sometimes they, play, they do staples where they staple stuff back together, or you know, they, they have different ways of helping to fix the bone. Now, some things are easier to fix than others. But when you talk about brokenness and some of the things that, that, that it applies to, not everything is easily fixable or easily mended. Let's take friendships, for example. How many of us have ever bro had a broken friendship? See, I remember one time where I, I was upset at a friend of mine and I thought they had done something to, against me. And it, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I realized I was mad at the wrong person. See, the person that, w that had done the thing, they had the same name. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so when the, I didn't realize it at the time. And so I, got, I was upset at the wrong person, which is, which is an odd place to be. Now, I never, I'm the type of person, if I'm upset, I'm not going to go out and do something stupid or tell you that I'm really angry at you or things like that. So they had no idea that I was upset at them. But it took me a while to realize, why in the world am I upset at someone that has no idea why I'm upset? Now, I know that doesn't happen to everybody where, you know, you get mad at the wrong person and you, don't, you stop talking to them for a couple of years. But that's just me being real. But sometimes we, we break promises or people break promises again, uh, that they've given us where somebody tells you they're going to do something, but they don't come through. 
And that usually upsets us because we don't like, we want people to keep their words. I'm, a, I like, I'm one of those people that if I say I'm going to do something, then I intend to follow through. Now, it may not happen immediately, but I'm going to do it. That probably sometimes gets me into trouble, you know, at home where I say I'm going to do, do something and, you know, Holly has sometimes to remind me, I'm like, I, I'm, I'll do it. I didn't say when, but I'll do it. You see, I can do that because she's over there. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but what happens if you fix something that's your fixing is not good enough? See, I, can, I remember a time we were getting ready to do baptism, and we didn't have like an inside baptism. So we had, the, we had a pool that we had to fill up. And this thing, it usually took like four to five hours to fill this thing up. So we would start probably around like eight, nine o'clock in the evening because we had other things we had to do. And if you don't know this about me, I'm pretty much a night owl. So staying up late is pretty common for me. And so me and uh, the pastor at the time, we would just we would go to the church and we would set the pool up and we'd just turn on the hose and watch it fill up. And of course, you got to check on it because you got to constantly adjust it as you're lifting it up as more water fills up. Well, as more water filled up, we realized it wasn't really going the way it was supposed to. And come to find out, there was actually a leak. Now, imagine having been doing this for about two or three hours, and all of a sudden you realize there's water leaking out. And, you know, it takes a while to realize water is leaking out because it's going underneath the thing. And so when we realized it, so then we had to empty the whole thing. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a pain. It's exhausting enough having to fill it and adjust it as it fills up, but then having to empty it, and you can't really move it out of the sink because we had it basically like in the lobby of the sanctuary. And so we had to keep the water from getting into the sanctuary while we empty it, and it was only just the two of us. But I remember we tried to fix it with different things. You know, they usually come with those little patches that sometimes work. And so we put a patch on there, and that didn't work. So we ran to the, he ran to the store while I tried to empty out the water to put another fix on it. Still didn't work. We actually ended up having to borrow something from somebody else to be able to baptize people that on that next day. And honestly, by the time we went to bed, I think it was like 3 o'clock in the morning when we had finally just been like, okay, there's not a whole lot we can do. But those are just different things where you try to fix something the best that you could, but sometimes the fix that you do doesn't work. But that's the reality of a lot of us and a lot of people where we try to fix the things that are hurting us our own ways. And so when we try to fix them, we look for things that only are temporary solutions instead of turning to Jesus, who's, a per, who's supposed to be an everlasting solution. And so when we're dealing with things and we've had our hearts broken, we've had our dreams crushed, we've had friendships break, we don't always turn to Jesus for our, to be our solution. Instead, we look for different things. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. There are, lots, there are lots of things that, takes, that we put in place of the hole in our hearts that we're trying to fill. And so when you talk about brokenness, it, the definition that I found says it's a condition in which something is badly damaged and unable to continue or work 
correctly. Or the second one is a state of strong emotional pain that stops someone from living a normal or healthy life. None of us want to hear that we are broken people, but if you look at the definition of what it means is we've all been hurt. We've all experienced pain. We've all experienced something in life that sometimes that stops us from being able to continue moving forward. We've all experienced something where we have to stop and go, I don't know if I want to keep dealing with this. I don't know if I want to keep moving forward with this. See, for me, I remember when I first experienced this feeling of, really, it's a feeling of helplessness where you can't, you can't figure out what to do next. It was when my brother, uh, Stefano, had ended up in the hospital. He had just graduated from high school. He was literally 18 years old at the time. And I was in Orlando serving and doing ministry, and I remember waking up that morning and to a call that he had, had a seizure, basically had a seizure the night before and had to be rushed to the hospital. Now, I'm the oldest of three, and so he's the, he was, he's the middle child. And so to hear that my brother basically is in the hospital was heartbreaking. And I remember going to my friend, and, you know, I, I didn't have a car, so it was, it's a two-hour drive from Orlando to St. Pete. And so I remember going to my friend and letting him know what's happening, and he asked me, you know, what do you want to do? And I remember breaking down into it was like, I need to be with my family. I need to go and be with my family. It took me probably just about two months or more before I, was, I felt like I was ready to go back into doing ministry. Because at that point, I didn't think I could continue and go back to serving while watching my brother suffer when I know that I serve a God who, can, who could have done something about it. And I remember looking at that, going to the hospital, and it's honestly, it's one of those reasons why I don't like going into hospitals. Because the moment I step foot in a hospital, that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of seeing my brother in that bed, suffering. And so, you know, if you're ever in the hospital and I don't come to see you immediately, it's nothing personal. It's just for me, it's really hard to go into a hospital and visit people. Because the first thing I think of when I step foot in there is that pain, is that hurt, is that image of seeing my brother lying there and seeing my mother crying her eyes out. And so, thankfully, you know, I've had some good experiences with seeing my daughters born in the hospital, so those have kind of offs offset the balance a little bit, but it's still not easy. But I remember how hard it was for me to go back to doing ministry, to pick it back up and say, okay, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to try to do my best to, to do what God has called me to, all the while knowing how much I was hurting. And I remember spending that time with my family, spending my time, that time with my brother who was very young. My youngest brother, he's eight years younger than me, so he would have been... Let me see. I have to think for a second. Because my middle brother is three years younger than me, and he was 18 at the time. So he would have been about 15 years old when this happened, 14, 15 years old. 
And so it wasn't easy on our families. And even as, you know, we went through that, it was still difficult. Because at one point, you know, they moved my brother from the hospital that was in St. Pete to where they moved him all the way to the West Palm area. And so my mom would take the train and go all the way to West Palm, and we have family over there. So she would stay over there for a week and then come back the next week and stay and be with So she was going back and forth, back and forth. And meanwhile, at the time, I was back in Orlando serving, and so uh, my dad was working, and so it was kind of really a mess. It was a hard time for our family, and I remember how hard it is, and I still think about how difficult it was. And then you fast forward to about 10, about 10 years later, where he had spent all that time unable to do anything for himself, and he, was in a, he ended up being put in a home. And it was just, just over a year ago where I got the call where he, pa- where he passed away. Now, I was working, actually, I was substituting that, that morning when I got the phone call. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning, and I had already, I want to say 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and I had already been, started my day, and I remember having to tell my younger brother what had happened and why my dad had tried to call him. And then I had to push through the rest of the, the, rest of the day until I could get home because I, I knew that I just, I needed time to process it, but I didn't want to rush home. And so that brokenness, that feeling of helplessness that came with it, knowing that there's nothing I can do about this, it's not a good feeling. And I remember having to deal with that, and I'm still dealing with those things because while I, w- I wish I could say, you know, I've moved forward with, uh, from dealing with all that, but I haven't because those memories are still fresh, those pains still fresh. And so, as I say, we don't like being told that, you know, we're broken or damaged, but the truth is we are. This world is broken But the thing is, when you think about it, you know, we live in a broken world with broken systems that were created by broken people. People that don't know Jesus, that try to do their best, didn't think that they're doing the best for people, but really those ideas, those things came not always from their relationship with God, but it comes from their own personal experiences, their own personal hurts and pain. And so they try to create something that they hope will last. But the truth is, the only one that can truly fix and mend us and heal us is Jesus. And so to try to place that kind of responsibility on other people as if they can take away your pain is just, it's not going to get you anywhere. And, it's, and, that, and that's the thing. When you're hurting and you get into a relationship, you end up hurting other people. When one of the, I remember hearing a phrase, and I can't remember exactly who said it, but it says this, that hurt people hurt people. Because when you've been hurt, what happens is you, you stop trusting people. 
And even if you do get in relationships with other people, there's still that reminder that somebody else hurt you. And so you don't fully give them your full selves or your full trust. And so the moment that they do something that you perceive as them hurting you or about to hurt you, you step out of that relationship. And so now you become the one that's hurting somebody else. We don't always look to relationships for the right reasons. We look to relationships because of what we might get out of them, not for what we can do for each other. But if you look at our, there's a difference in the relationship that we have with people and the relationship that we should have with God. That we would desire to know him, to draw close to him, not because we want something for him. All those things that he gives us, that he does for us, that comes out of his love for us. Because in the book of Psalms, it tells us that he heals the brokenhearted. See, he sees our sorrows. He sees the things that we're dealing with, and he wants to heal us. And that's in Psalm 147, verse 3, where it says, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. How many people have ever heard the story of Zacchaeus? In fact, there's even a song about him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man he was, which is kind of messed up if you think about it. <laughs> like of all the things he could be remembered for is the fact that he was a small person, and so we decide to sing a song about the fact that he was just small, which is insulting to anybody that's short and small. But in this passage... We're going to be looking at Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can open that up. And if you don't, it's going to be up there on the screen. But in the passage, we, we get to see more about Zacchaeus. Not just that he was short, but we learn about what he did for a living and what he wanted, out of, really a little bit of what he wanted out of life. So in ver- starting at verse 1, I'm going to give you a moment to find that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to read all of it at once. I'm going to read different parts, and then we'll stop at each part and then just go through it and break it down. So it says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So I'm going to stop right there. Now, notice that the first thing you tell us about him is not that he was short, but that he was a tax collector, and he was wealthy. He had money. And now, I find it interesting because it, it tells us that here's Jesus walking through town, and he's, he's just coming through Jericho. We don't know what his plans are until later on in this passage. But as he's coming through, it says that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But he couldn't because there are so many people that were along the road looking at Jesus that he just couldn't, he just couldn't get a good view. And so he did what he could and he climbed a tree. Now, I find it interesting because it made me want to ask the question, how many people in life want to know or see Jesus for themselves but are unable to because there are too many religious people 
in the way, not willing to make way for those that need Jesus to come through and come forward. All he wanted to know is, is to see who Jesus is. He'd heard about Jesus. He'd probably heard about the miracles that he'd done. Now he wanted to know for himself. But no one was willing to move aside to actually give him, let him be able to get through and see Jesus. So he tried to find another way. Now, verse 5, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, do you have room at your house? I want to come to your house. No, he said, hey, I need to stay at your house today. He didn't give him a chance to say, hey, you know, yes or no. He basically said, I see you. I'm coming to your house today. There's lots of people that need to hear that, that Jesus wants to come to them. He's given them an open invitation to come, but he's also willing to go to you. Now, do you think people were excited to know that where Jesus was going? They weren't. In fact, it says that all the people that saw this started to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, other than his, what he did for a living, it doesn't really tell us what kind of life he lived. It doesn't tell us what he, what he was going through. It doesn't tell us any other details other than that he was a chief tax collector. So then why do these people all of a sudden get upset and say that Jesus is going to the house of a sinner? It's because at that time, tax collectors were not seen in a positive light because a lot of them took advantage of the people. They stole from the people. They charged them more than they needed to. And so some of them, the riches that they got were from taking from their people. And a lot of them were Jewish people that were taking from their own people. And so you can imagine that having somebody that's part of your group or part of your family line, part of your people, turn around and start taking advantage of you it would leave a bad taste in your mouth. It would upset you. And so to them, because of his job, because of the things that he did and how he got his riches, so all of a sudden they saw him as a sinner. But the Bible tells us that all have sinned. So none of the people that were calling him sinners were perfect either. And so what they saw was because of what he's done as, in his job, that's how they labeled him as a sinner. How often do we label groups of people because of the actions of one or two people? We look at something that, say, somebody has done, and we say, man, that's, that whole group is just, just bad. But in reality, all it took was that one individual to do something dumb or stupid that hurt somebody, and all of a sudden, 
because somebody else works in that same line or is a part of that same group, even if, the, even if they don't know that person, we all of a sudden say they're, part of, they're sinners. But the Bible tells us that every single one of us are sinners. So it doesn't matter what your work is. It doesn't matter how good of a person that you think you are. At one point or another, you've wronged somebody. You've hurt somebody, whether you realize it or not. You've done something against somebody. And so we've all sinned. See, that is one of the message of the gospel. And that's something that really tells us that we all start at the same point and we all need Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus accepted Jesus' invitation to come, his, come to his house. And, it's, and it says in verse 8, that, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus goes on to say to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, this is the cool thing about when you have, a, when you have an encounter with Christ. He changes you. That one visit of Jesus into his home changed how he viewed his job, how he viewed the people that he had wronged, and all those things that he had done. To go so far as saying, you know what, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to go back and I'm going to, if I hurt somebody, if I cheated them, I'm going to give them back four times what I, how I cheated them. If I would hurt somebody, I'm going to make it right. See, the people that labeled him as a sinner did not know him on a deeper level. They didn't know that he needed Jesus. They didn't know that he was seeking Jesus. They didn't know the struggles that he'd gone through. They didn't know what he was dealing with. But Jesus saw all that and more. Can you imagine how much of a difference that must have made, not just in his life, but the people that he worked with that saw that transformation, that saw this man that had been wronging people, cheating people, taking advantage of people, all of a sudden he's turning around, he's going around and he's giving back to the people that he's cheated. He's going around and making things right, left and right, and he's changing his life in a way that pleases God. That's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. When you accept Him as your Lord and Savior and He transforms your life, He begins to show you these different things about yourself that just don't match up with who He is. And so He starts helping you to see those things and He begins to help you through those things. He begins to change you, to fix the parts that are broken. He begins to heal the hurt that you're experiencing. He begins to show you how to live in such a way that people will see Jesus through you. See, the disciples and all those that were probably in that house today immediately saw that change.
You know, earlier we were praying for people that need salvation. We are bringing up not just really, we don't know most of those people by, no, by name, but we know there's lots of people that need salvation. One of the things I love about when I read Scripture is that when Jesus walked through, or a lot of things that he did, he made sure people you know, saw it. But not only that, he didn't go after the people that are well-known to be doing things right all the time. Or at least the ones that put on a show about doing things right. But rather, he went for the people that weren't getting it right, but were curious enough to approach him. Or we're curious enough to accept that invitation. We're curious enough to want to know more about him because that's all it took. I'm sure there were lots of people in the crowd that wanted to see more of Jesus, but he walked through, he saw somebody that was more than just curious, but wanted to be different. And so when he saw how far he was willing to go to, to see him, he said, I have to come to your house today. Because before that, we didn't know where he was headed. We didn't know whose house he was going to until that moment. So you get, he has an invitation for all of us to come and draw near to him. So he just wanted to know Jesus for himself but nobody was willing to give him the chance to make it through. And the thing that we have to be mindful of and be aware of as Christians is that to make sure that we're not the stumbling block or the obstacle that keeps people from coming to Jesus. There's lots of people that probably stepped foot in churches wanting to know more about Jesus, but didn't leave and never come back. But one of the things that also, you know, you, I've learned and come to realize is that everybody has an opinion about what Christians are supposed to be like. Even if they don't live a life of, as Christians, they have a, a view of what Christianity is supposed to be like, how nice you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to love people. But, and so... When you talk about that word cross-examination, what, what that word is, is that people will take what you've already said and try to find ways to really corner you or catch you to make you say something else. And, so, and as Christians, one of the, I think one of the ones that get picked on a lot is how we love people. When we say, you know, we're going to love everybody and then, you know, we say, well, we don't really agree with that choice of, because it's not, it's against Scripture. Then all of a sudden you're like, well, aren't you supposed to love everybody? Well, yes. Do you agree with everybody that you, go, you, you meet? And so people have a view of how Christianity is supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, how, what we're supposed to do when it's convenient for them. But God calls us, yes, he calls us to love everybody, but he calls us to love him first. And so if we're going to love him first, and, that, and that's when his love begins to reflect in us. It doesn't, as far as I've read, God does not accept sin. 
That's why he gave us Jesus, so that we would have a chance to to change, a chance to know him, to draw closer to him. But that, the reason why he kicked us out of the garden is because he could not allow sin to be a part of that. And so, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we want to make sure that we're showing them Christ first and foremost. That the things we do, the things we say, the way we act would reflect Jesus. And that means that even when we don't say something that everybody's going to agree, agree with. Because we're not here to make everybody happy. I don't know about you, but it would be very exhausting trying to make every single person happy. Because none, then, no, then you're not happy. So did you really make everybody happy if you're not happy? It just doesn't work because no matter what you do, people find, will try to find fault in the things you say or the things you do. But to live for Christ means that you have to be willing to step on some people's toes. Not literally. But you have to be willing to accept that not everybody's going to like the things you say. Not everybody's going to agree with, the, with Christian living. Not everybody's going to see it as a positive thing. Not everybody's going to see the choices, the things that you do and, and, you know, praise you for it. But that's not why we do any of those things. No, we do those things because we want to make God, our Father, proud of who we are and how we live our life on this earth. And sometimes God uses our brokenness to help us to grow and draw closer to Him. Because what happens is when you're, when you're feeling those moments of brokenness, there's really only two options. You either draw closer to God or you turn away from Him because you think He's not doing enough. But the closer you draw to Him, the more you begin to realize that He never left your side. See, that's what I learned as I went through all these different things, especially with my brother. As I spent that time trying to figure out, you know, do I want to keep doing ministry? Do I really want to go back to doing this and giving myself, basically pouring myself out and doing all these things, serving all these different people, when here I am watching my own family suffer my own brother in pain? Where is God when I need him in this moment? But I had, and I realized, and it took me a while to realize it, that he never left my side. That even as I was going through those moments where, of doubts, he was still right there. Surrounding me with his love, surrounding my family with support. Because that's the kind of God we serve. We don't always understand everything that happens or all the outcomes but we can hold on to the fact that He is faithful, that He is just, that He is always with us. It's okay to acknowledge our brokenness. Just don't stay there. Look for ways to draw closer to God. See, all of us have been bought by the blood of Jesus, and He offers us redemption and restoration. 
So when we talk about being made new, being renewed, we're only able to have that because Jesus' blood has bought our redemption. It doesn't matter how broken you felt or have been feeling. It doesn't matter how put together you feel. His blood was shed for every single one of us. And I want to continue to challenge us to, as I did last week, to think to that one person that at least, I mean, it can be more than one person, but the one person that you know needs Jesus, that you would begin to pray for them daily. That you would not stop, that you would be relentless in your desire to see them come to know Jesus. That you would pray that there, whatever obstacles, whatever excuses might come up, that God would remove them. So that they would know that He's calling them and He's willing to meet them where they are. In Psalms 51, verse uh, 13 through 17, I don't, it's not up there. It says, I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to you. God, that you, God, will not despise. See, God sees us, and we are all broken, and that brokenness started when the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Because we went from such a perfect relationship with God where they were walking with Him in the garden, and they were walking with Him side by side. That's how close our relationship with God was. And then they ate of the fruit, and all of a sudden it ruined things for every single one of us. So, you know, all the pain and sorrows and things that we experienced, they didn't experience that until after they had eaten of the fruit. Can you imagine how amazing that must have been to walk side by side with God? Feeling that presence so strongly, knowing that He's right there with you. That there was no need to worry about anything because he's already provided for them for everything that they needed. And then they ruined it for all of us. But thankfully, we have the promise of Jesus is coming again where we will have the opportunity and we can look forward to that where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more all, all these things. But in the meantime, we're stuck with dealing with these, all these things in this world and that's okay because they draw us closer to God if we allow them to. If you could go to the next slide, I think there's a 
there is one thing in there. Oh, I guess I didn't put it in. Okay, it's okay. I forgot to put it in there. That's all right. It's in that same that same passage of scripture where, that we read last week about just really David just crying out to God. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up real quick. Psalm 51, but it's the earlier verses. There we go. It's the verse 10 and 11 where it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Let that be our prayers, and I'll probably re read this at the end, really, every, sir, every messages of this series, because I want that to be our, really, our theme and our reminder that we want to be closer to God, and we want to be in His presence daily. We want to feel His Spirit within us, and so we want Him to create in us a clean heart. That's why we started by talking about if our heart is right with God, because God does look at our hearts. And he's, He can renew our hearts, and He can renew our minds, He can renew our spirit within us. That's what happens when you uh, accept Jesus as your Savior and you become a part of, this, of the family of God. He provides you with the Holy Spirit. Now, all of a sudden, our relationship with Him is a lot closer than it used to be. So let that be our desire here in this space, that we desire to always be near to God. There's going to be times where you'll feel like He's not there, but the truth is He still is. There's going to be hard days and there's going to be good days. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe for you or for some of us, the reminder that we need it is that God is willing to come to our house, no matter how clean or how dirty it looks. Sometimes we try to clean things up before we come to God, but God's saying, no, no. I already know what your house looks like. I already know what it looks like on the inside. But I want to come to you. And you let me do that change and that fix. See, the problem with trying to fix it yourself before you come to Jesus is that you, it ends up messy again. But when you let him do the fixing, it's a permanent fix. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for who you are, Lord, that you would send your Son to die on the cross for all of our sins, Lord, that 
we all started in the same at the same point that lord that we are all sinners yet you will allowed us the opportunity for salvation through the death and resurrection of your son and god if there's any one whether they be watching online or wherever they may be, if they watch this today or tomorrow or whenever they watch this, that is seeking you and truly seeking your presence, God, I pray that you would meet them where they are. Just as you did for Zacchaeus, not only did you go to his house, but you brought salvation to his house. And so God, we're praying for salvation for so many people. Some of them some of those people are people that we know and some of them are people that we don't know, God, but we're praying for their salvation. We're praying that they would have such a strong encounter with you, Lord, that there would be no denying your power, nor denying your presence. And God, if we have allowed the, our brokenness or our hurts and pains to uh, weigh us down, to burden us, God, I pray that we would place it at your feet today. That we not leave this space holding on to the same things that we walked in with this morning that we lay it at your feet and trust you to take care of it and take care of us. Lord, we love you and we praise you, giving you all glory, honor, and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen.